Dylan, we we got a 9.1% CPI reading last week. Um, what were your initial thoughts, reactions, seeing that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, inflation is is still is still running rampant. Um, I think it's that's mostly been uh, you're starting to see the base effects of, of inflation come down a little bit, not come down, but we're seeing commodities roll over uh, in a pretty significant way. Um, so I, I think that the the year over year inflation um, could definitely have have topped here. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a running the data myself. I'm not I'm not uh, kind of a, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm not I'm not actually calculating this stuff out. Um, but uh, I think that uh, you know what what's really the the big key here is is the labor market. Um, that's what the Fed's kind of trying to squeeze out a little bit. Um, so inflation can still kind of like I think you can you can see it top out at nine nine percent or maybe it goes to ten right, but uh, it's going to persist for a long time. There's there's structural uh, issues in, in commodity and energy markets, um, and and you know the the disinflation the disinflationary era of the past is is somewhat dead here, um, and so you know there's there's still uh, kind of a lot to be worked out uh, as we go forward. So I just want to remind everyone over on Twitter Spaces that you will uh, you're able to see all of our pretty pre- pretty faces. Jesus, I can't talk. It's Monday, so excuse me. Uh, over on YouTube, we'll be going over some charts in just a moment. Um, you know, look, gas prices for me have actually strangely gone down fifty cents a gallon. So I'm still sitting above five dollars. Like, what is it in Nashville? P for you and Dylan? What does it look like in Vermont? Man, I think I think for me it's just food prices. Like food prices are getting higher and higher and higher, and uh, it's it's wild. It's also interesting. It's very interesting to me that you know I'm always fascinated by separate from what's actually happening from how the official government narratives are shifting. And so the more the government kind of acknowledges these increases in prices. Um, that to me is almost a stronger signal than the actual prices themselves. So I feel like we've been seeing a lot more of that in terms of the, the public uh, narratives that are being shilled. Expand on yeah. that since you avoided the question. Sorry, Dylan. No, no, I was going to say, I mean, food prices is the thing for me. You said gas for gas has gone down for you, but uh, you know, cans of cat food, which I eat constantly, you know, you know, in order to stack more sats, save money, um, you know, that's gone up and uh no, human food, obviously. Like, you know, fruit, veggies. Uh, I've just been very surprised at the, the cost. I, I assume that has to do with fuel prices as well, but not sure, man. Don't yeah, I mean, I just, I just bought a moped, so I get 80, gal- I get 80 miles a gallon, uh, <laughs> which, you know, is great. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about the, the actual gas prices. I don't really look. Um, <laughs> but Must be nice to be that rich. Oh, all right. <laughs> So let's dive into some of these things. I mean, look, I'm with Dylan on the moped train. I mean, to be honest, I'm looking at electric bikes myself. And then those electric bikes bikes cost as much as used motorcycles. So I may not live to the end of this year. So I digress. Um, We got the CPI numbers in. We've seen people talking about Dr. Copper and the way copper prices are going, commodities as P is meant, or as I mentioned, gas prices are starting to trickle down. You do see some food prices creeping up. I think it's just a, a lagging effect of the high gas prices. That's just my personal opinion, though. Dylan, what are the things in the commodity space that you're paying close attention to right now? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely looking at copper. Um, copper is a really interesting relationship with inflation expectations. Um, over the last decade, it's like almost one for one, like 10 year forward inflation expectations with, with copper. Um, the copper to gold ratio, Lynn Alden likes to talk about it. Um, it's, it's a really, if you overlay the copper to gold uh, ratio with, with like uh, kind of industrial PMIs, um, you see a really, really interesting relationship there. Um, and so I, I just in general commodity markets, I mean, energy, I think has, has rebounded today. Um, we're just in a different, we're just in a different era, uh, inflation. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, the, the month over month of the year over year, uh, rate of change of inflation, uh, can slow down, but you have to understand that inflation compounds. Um, so even if inflation, you know, a year out from now is, is not 9%, but it's 4%, you still have to take, you know, that 9% and multiply it by 4% uh, after that. Uh, it's, it's only that kind of that derivative uh, of, of inflation that's coming down, but you know, 
in reality, everything's getting more expensive over time. Um, so I think, you know, we like to talk about just uh, a big picture stuff. We, we've, our kind of thesis for, for Bitcoin um, is, is kind of this asset. And obviously people say, hey, Bitcoin's not an inflation hedge. Um, it's, you know, the market's proven that in a, this Bitcoin is not a year over year CPI, consumer price index inflation hedge. Uh, but our view is that Bitcoin is a monetary debasement hedge. Uh, and when we, we're looking at kind of the, the global bond market, we still are of the belief that uh, real yields over the over the coming years will will be uh, held purposefully uh, negative, right? So, so fixed income as an asset class is guaranteed to lose you money. Um, Bitcoin is obviously not doing great uh, over the last you know year or so, uh, but kind of it's still it's still over its 2020 uh, you know January 2020 opening price, whereas like the 6040 portfolio is below that, right? So. Um, I'm kind of veering all over the place here. Uh, we, we started talking about commodities. Um, but yeah, I, I think that structurally commodities, uh, you know, we're seeing just with the Russia-Ukraine war uh, and kind of the reversal of globalization, uh, you're going to see a lot of pressure uh, on, on commodity prices for the, for the long term. Uh, but something like a recession, something like a kind of a collapse in demand, uh, which the Fed is trying to engineer, those can certainly make an impact on the margin and, and lower those prices. I mean, look, we're we're b- bouncing around a lot, but that's due in large part because everything seems to be connected and intertwined with one another. Um, look, off of the heels of that CPI reading that we got last week, it seemed as though the potential for a 75 basis point rate hike next week is actually diminishing and the likelihood of a 100 basis point rate hike uh, could be on our doorsteps. Can we talk a little bit just about where or what affect these uh the increase in fund rate could have on just the market as we've seen it as we've seen them progressively raise rates we've seen the effects it's had i mean we're in the midst of this bear market um what are what are your expectations how are you preparing yeah i mean the most interesting thing for me is is that you're seeing um actually the the bond market's like calling the feds bluff um and saying if you look at like the euro dollar futures curve um it's, and this is last week's numbers, so I, I couldn't tell you exactly what they are today, but it has the Fed funds rate topping out at like 3.8%, 3.9% uh, this December. And then actually, if you go out to like next December, uh, it has the Fed funds rate at, at around 3.2%. Um, and so you're seeing that actually the market's expectations is that the Fed actually cuts throughout 2023, um, just on the basis that there's just structurally way too much debt out there. Um, and and if you see you know the Fed actually hike this this far up uh you're gonna see kind of this this huge <laughs> collapse because of because of how much debt there is and how much you know again like the, it's a structural issue um so you kind of have this this zoomed out view um and and the reason why like a lot of the bitcoiners or a lot of just the macro guys um you know despite what's happened over the last four or five months or you know what may happen the rest of the year why they're saying like hey you know it's 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 all one game and, and they're going to print again it's because of these, uh, you know, big long-term structural issues of debt and demographics, uh, which, you know, the demographic picture all over the world is, is super ugly. And so when you have these huge debt burdens and all these uh, kind of entitlements and promises um, that governments all over the world uh, have given their citizen citizenry, uh, you know, it leads the the central banks to only one, uh, you know, only one path, which is which is kind of the more debasement of the currency and, and you know, printing up more IOUs to cover to cover those promises. So just for those who, like me, had to quickly look up and make sure where we're at, uh, the current Fed fund rate sits at about 1.5 to 1.7. So there's still plenty of runway to go. Um, I mean, I want to I wanna really break this down, though, Dylan, and correct me if I'm wrong if I'm assuming, that event that a lot of Bitcoiners are waiting for, that reversal of the Fed's position this is this would be that a decline in this federal fu- implied federal fund rate would mean that sometime in 2024 the market is expecting them to have to reverse their position. So is that an accurate way of reading this? 2023, um, yeah. Oh. I, I mean, and you can and you can go out and you can look at the. It's called the like Euro Dollar Futures. Um, originally, Euro Dollars were was because it's not. It has nothing to do with the euro. It has everything to do with just the fact that uh, European banks had dollar time deposits. So uh, euro dollar, uh, the euro dollars uh, or the you know euro dollar futures is named after uh, kind of like it was originally like offshore Fed fund futures, uh, but now that's at like the, at the CME. 
um, and it's basically a way to speculate or hedge uh, interest rates, right? So um, the market's saying, you know, hey, the Fed's going to raise to here. They've, they've said that, uh, but it's going to come down because, uh, you know, the bond market understands that it's not sustainable over the long term. Um, I think really what, what you, uh, you're starting to see people see, and I think anyone that hasn't read uh, Arthur Hayes, uh, his latest piece, um, I got I to gotta touch up on it again. But, you know, when, you, when you're watching like something like the Dixie, uh, which is a majority just kind of indexed against the euro and the yen, uh, the two, you know, the second and third largest currencies in the world, uh, which have meaningfully weakened against the dollar um, over the course of the year, um, because these guys are, are net energy importers, right? So they import their energy uh, and the central banks, the BOJ and the ECB are continuing their, you know, epic monetary uh, monetary stimulus, right? The, the BOJ, Bank of Japan is is kind of uh, implementing yield curve control. They're capping their, their bond yields at 25 basis points and the Eurozone, um, which, you know, has is, is super fractured and, and kind of has, uh, you know, Weak, uh, weak countries within the eurozone, like like Greece and Italy, uh, with way too much debt to GDP, um, they're they're having to cap spreads, right? So the bond yields on, of those countries, because of default risk, is a lot higher than say you know a Germany, right? Even though even though Germany's in a really tough spot with all the Russia dynamics, so they're having to come in and actually to you know cap those spreads, which is another form of just money printing or quantitative easing, or maybe even yield curve control. Uh, I think they're calling it like some anti-fragmation uh, fragmentation or something like that along those lines. But essentially you have this kind of, uh, you know, the second and third largest central banks are still uh, implementing kind of monetary policy uh, gone mad uh, while the Fed's tightening. So you're seeing the dollar index, uh, which is again, just dollar relative to other, to other fiats, mainly the, the Euro and the yen uh, is soaring, showing dollar strength. And traditionally just, if, you know, if we go back to the history of, of this kind of this, you know, global monetary system, global monetary order of, of the dollar. It's, you know, basically post Bretton Woods, or if you want to look at it post, uh, you know, post Nixon shock, right. When it's pure, pure uh, free float fiat, uh, periods of dollar strength have, have coincided with, with large global recessions. And there's a reason for that. It's because there's, there's so much dollar denominated debt out there. Um, so now we're, you know, seeing that relative dollar strength. And even though the dollar uh, is, is materially weakening against, you know, commodities, real goods and services, um, it's, it's strengthening against other currencies. And, and this is kind of where you see like large debt crises emerge, right? So, um, you know, anybody, any emerging market, uh, whether, you know, whether it's a European company or, or just kind of uh, foreign entities, right? If they have dollar denominated debt, they have to sell dollar assets and that could be treasuries, that could be US equities, that could be Bitcoin even, uh, right? Like anything that's, that's got a dollar exchange rate, they have to sell those assets to cover their, their dollar liabilities. You're essentially seeing like a short squeeze uh, start to play out uh, on the dollar itself. Um, so that's, that's why uh, dollar strength coincides with recessions. And oftentimes, you know, just with, with how much uh, dollar debt is out there. And the, and the crazy thing is it's not quantifiable. Um, there's, there's, there's so much, it's called like, you know, Euro dollars, right? Nobody knows the size of the Euro dollar market. Nobody knows how much actual dollar debt is out there. Uh, it's, it's very opaque. And so, you know, we, we can see these, these really scary moments where the dollar just screams higher and risk sells off. And, and actually, uh, if we look back to like, say, March of 2020, you saw like the, the largest market in the world, the treasury market, it, went, it was illiquid. It went no bid uh, on, on one of the securities because uh, there were so many foreigners that were selling treasuries. To cover that that dollar uh, that dollar short position, right? Dollar short meaning just uh, dollar denominated debt. Um, so like these are like big picture issues here. Uh, but this is what you know a strong dollar. Why why pay attention to the Dixie at all? Uh, this is why. It's because you know we have these these huge issues that have had built up across decades um, that you know are systemic. I want to quickly go back to the chart of the Dixie, Chris, if you don't mind pulling that up. And everyone who's tuning in on Twitter spaces, just a reminder, uh, we have pinned to the top. You can pop on over to YouTube where you can actually see our pretty faces and the chart that I'm referencing right now. Um, I'm just, we're speculating for a moment, so bear with me, Dylan, but are your expectations that the Dixie has peaked or is there still room for it to continue to rip higher? Um, historically, it looks like, you know, the peak of 20, 2002 or the peak in 1985 would imply we still have a good amount of runway still to go, but there could also just be an argument to be made that each peak has muted itself and become less and less severe. Um, so curious if you think the Dixie has peaked or what those expectations may be. 
Yeah, I mean, okay, like I'm, I'm not a foreign uh, currency trader. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trading dollar, dollar yen, dollar euro. Um, but just kind of as, as an outside observer of these markets, um, and just, and just like you know, looking at the structural issues of these other markets. Um, never mind the fact that the Fed's saying, hey, we're tightening, while these other central banks are saying, you know, we're we're still printing, we're still monetizing debt. Um, the 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 problem of these these countries being net importers of energy the structural energy uh, deficit that, that the world is, is experiencing. Um, you know, just today, this morning, um, Russia's like uh, Gazprom said, said, Hey, we're not, uh, we're not going to be sending Germany any more gas. Right. So uh, there's, you know, Germany, Europe's factory um, and kind of like the, the biggest driver of, of the European economy uh, is, has a huge energy deficit that can't be just flipped, like just, just fixed with a, you know, with a, another kind of band-aid, right? There's, there's no, there's no easy way to fix this. So um, the weakness that you're seeing in the euro, the weakness that you're seeing with other currencies relative to the dollar, never mind the fact that the dollar uh, is kind of strengthening as the Fed is supposedly going to try to uh, uh, roll back or, and, and lower its balance sheet. Um, you know, these dynamics are unchanged. So we're seeing a little bit of a relief today. Um, the Dixie's down, I think around 1%. Uh, which is like these moves that we're seeing in currency markets are, are really, really big. Like these are huge, these are huge moves. Um, I, but I, I don't think it's stopped. Right. Um, we, we actually, I think if you, if you want to go to Bitcoin magazine pro um, I'm trying to trying to find it in my Twitter feed right now to link it. Um, but we talked last week a little bit about um, kind of the Plaza accord uh, in, in 1980s. And this is following kind of uh, uh, Paul Volcker uh, raising interest rates 20%. Uh, you know, kind of reining in that domestic inflation that, that, that was the United States experience in the 70s, trying to, to stop the stagflationary environment. Um, and you saw on the back of that, the dollar strengthened uh, significantly against a basket of other currencies. Um, and so the world came together uh, because uh, as the U.S. kind of, as the, as the dollar screamed higher, uh, the U.S. started to have a, a, huge, uh, a huge deficit, a huge uh, current account uh, deficit. And so the world came together and was like, Hey, we got to fix this. Uh, this is, this is not ideal. Uh, and this is the kind of the classic trifling dilemma, right? Uh, as, as the dollar gains strength, uh, the U S just buys up the world stuff. And this is, this is like a, a structural issue, but, um, th this is, you know, we're still seeing this stuff today. Um, the world, if the U S if the dollar strengthens too much against these other currencies, big, big problems arise. And so, you know, the Plaza Accord was essentially all these world leaders coming together and saying, Hey, we need to, we need to actually materially weaken the dollar. Uh, and do something about this because, you know, the global economy can't function this way. Um, and so, you know, maybe we see some sort of Plaza Accord 2.0, uh, whether it's, you know, explicitly or implicitly. Um, but, you know, the longer that the dollars, this, the dollars up here or the higher it goes, uh, the more and more problems, whether it's under the surface or not, uh, you know, that the global economy will face. I want to pop on over to slide five because knowing me, I'm misinterpreting this. Uh, this is the U.S. balance on current account percent of GDP. Uh, walk us through what you're seeing here. Yeah, so current account um, deficit or surplus, uh, it's basically how much you export or import. Um, and so if you, if you kind of normalize it against the country's GDP, and this is for the U.S., right? Um, but you're seeing essentially um, the U.S., being the world reserve currency. And this is something that Robert Trifon saw in the 60s. It's like anybody that's the world reserve currency, uh, any country is going to have to basically run deficits to supply the world with liquidity. Um, and, if they, and if you don't run deficits, then the world will face a recession. And so he saw, he saw this, Robert Trifon, an economist, he saw this in the 60s. Um, but essentially, if you kind of, if you look at periods of, of significant uh, dollar, uh, dollar strength, uh, this, problem, this problem gets a lot worse. And so now you're kind of seeing uh, our current account deficit that the strong dollar actually, while it's, you know, kind of over a short term could, can be a good thing as the U.S. can, you know, buy up everyone else's exports and, and you know, buy the world's goods uh, for cheap. It hollows out the, the kind of the, the U.S. manufacturing, domestic manufacturing uh, base and, and leads to kind of a, a hyper financialization of our economy uh, and, and actually lets, you know, foreigners, because we're supplying all of our dollars to the rest of the world and going into debt. Uh, it allows foreigners to to scoop up all of our our kind of domestic assets. Um, so this is this is kind of uh, the the long term problem of of the the dollar as a world reserve currency, and why over the short term it may be a good thing because your your local currency, the U.S., you know, domestically the the dollar uh, is a world is a world uh, you know currency is a is a unit of account. Um, 
it's a good thing over the short term, but over the long term, uh, it, it kind of, you know, sows the seeds for these, these really, really big uh, structural issues um, that continue to get worse over time. And so, you know, right now it's like five, four and a half percent of our, of our GDP is, is, uh, is, you know, run as, as a deficit, our current account deficit, we, we import that much more than we export. Um, and, and over time, uh, that continues to kind of worsen as the chart shows. So it sounds like based on this chart and what we're seeing, we're, we in the U.S. are having a harder and harder time getting foreign nationals to buy what our goods are. Uh, sounds very, very promising for the future of uh, our economy and the dollar. Um, I want to pop on over to slide number seven because actually you sent a tweet out and put this chart on my radar last week, Dylan, uh, just almost mocking what is actually happening uh, based on what the Fed is t trying to tell people and the results of the CPI print. Um, this this red yield below inflation zone has now drastically spread. Uh, why should anyone be concerned about this? Like, what are what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, this is this is for anyone that's not looking at the chart. It's just U.S. CPI year over year uh, and the ten year Treasury yield. Um, and and what it's meant to show is um, is kind of since 1981, uh, since interest rates topped uh, and, and Volcker got inflation under control, there's been this this 40 year secular trend of, of you know uh, real yield bull market in bonds. Uh, so so inflation was below bond yields, uh, and if you have obviously like the long dated uh, debt like bonds, uh, not not treasury notes or treasury bills, uh, as as the yields go down uh, due to the duration of that debt, uh, the, the 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 value of that debt continues to rise. So you saw this huge huge secular bond bull market from 1980s to 1981 to you know really 2020 or 2021. Um, I think, I think in 2020 was the year that the real, you know, real bond bull market ended, um, just based on, just based on inflation, um, and, and, uh, where bond yields are. Um, and so now, you know, we're kind of seeing, uh, whether it's, you know, some people, there's still bond bulls out there that think that this is just kind of a deviation. Um, but I'm of the opinion that this, we've kind of seen the, the, the top, uh, uh, you know, of the real bull market in bonds. And so now, uh, whether, you know, the treasury, 10-year treasury is around, floating around 3%. I don't know what it is exactly off the top of my head. Uh, you know, year over year inflation is at 9%. Again, even if that comes back in to say 4%, 5%, you still have, a, you know, we're still witnessing financial repression where interest rates need to be materially lower than inflation uh, to kind of erode the real value of this debt. Uh, federal debt to GDP is over 100%. Uh, you have debt problems all over the world. Um, and so as a fixed income holder, you're kind of, I mean, you can, you can speculate on bonds, right? And if interest rates uh, go lower, then you, you know, you can get a capital gain on those bonds, but just, just uh, kind of looking at debt as an asset class um, post 2020, post COVID potentially uh, kind of seeing this, this huge uh, trend of globalization that we've seen over the last, you know, four or five decades, but really, you know, over the last few decades, with the rats of China and kind of exporting all this labor to emerging markets. We saw this huge disinflationary period, uh, which now, um, you know, a lot smarter people than myself um, have said, hey, this is all reversing. Uh, the work of like Peter Zion, uh, Lynn Alden has written a bunch about it. Uh, if we see this period of globalization, you know, where, where everything got cheaper, uh, labor, uh, goods and services, all this stuff got, got tremendously cheap uh, and it's now reversing and, and you're seeing a lot of nations kind of become uh, protectionists with their with their trade uh, and with their with their exports, uh, then this then this period of kind of inflation below yields uh, is is dead, right? And so for a fixed income holder, uh, you kind of have to question, uh, you know, your long term allocation to the asset class, uh, and and you know wonder what your your real returns are going to be over the next decade or two. Neither of us are experts in this space, but I just love your opinion as someone who spent far more time than I have really dissecting and looking at these things. Uh, Chris, if you could pull that chart back up, I think something that was that I find really interesting on this is during the 2007-2008 financial crisis, uh, you actually see the CPI print get negative. And we had a deflationary period for some time that gave the yields this appearance of being very strong for a little bit of time. Uh, why have you just, in your 
research and the time you spent looking at these types of markets, uh, why have we not seen that yet? Or will we see something like that uh, materialize if and when more bonds start to deteriorate? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bond market. Uh, I don't think it's a bond market phenomenon. I think um, basically you saw a deflationary bust in, in the great financial crisis. Um, and so that's certainly possible. Um, I think maybe for a brief period of time, uh, you know, a couple months out, say, you know, if you just look at a lot of the commodity prices, uh, the year over year charts, uh, it's certainly possible to get kind of a quick deflationary impulse or a negative year over year CPI reading. I certainly don't think it's, it's, it's likely uh, over the short term. Um, yeah, that'd be kind of, uh, that would be something where the Fed would, would come in and, you know, that's deflation is, is certainly not a, it's not something that's good for a, a credit based monetary system. Um, and so that's why they kind of always target low inflation numbers. I mean, 2% is, is very arbitrary, uh, but in a fiat credit system, uh, uh, deflationary busts are, are deadly, right? So that's why, uh, it's just, it's, it's horrible for the, for the economy and, uh, that's why in general, when, when people talk about Bitcoin, this is kind of a side tangent, but you say, you know, people will say deflationary money can't work. Uh, and they're thinking more so of, of kind of credit contraction and a fractional based monetary system and not technological deflation reducing prices, uh, which are two different things, in my opinion. And I think the, the, the fractional reserve credit contraction is what can oftentimes lead to this, you know, uh, CPI going, year over year going negative, right? Um, imagine it like what we just saw in the Bitcoin space, right? Uh, or the crypto space broadly, where, uh, you know, all these promises and all this unsecured credit blew up. We have no lender of last resort. So exchange rates tank, um, you know, say, just kind of map that out to the great financial crisis where it's not, it's not Bitcoin or crypto markets. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, it's, it's housing and mortgage-backed securities and, and the banking system, right? You see this huge deflationary impulse and all this fractional reserve uh, promises collapsing on each other. And, and all these asset prices tanking and, and you, you see demand for goods and services fall. And so, you know, prices on a year over year basis contract, right? So the government comes in and injects the system with a bunch of more liquidity to keep it all propped up. Uh, in Bitcoin, we don't have that lender of last resort, but that's the kind of the ultimatum of, of, a, of a fiat monetary base or fiat monetary system is that when you see the kind of the fractional house of cards start to crumble, uh, they come back in to, to you know, to, to try to prop it back up because, uh, that's kind of a, a reflexive doom loop uh, when that starts to take place. And so, you know, they, the Fed, I think for the longest time wanted inflation, they didn't want inflation this high. Uh, but, you know, a year over year uh, negative CPI is, is certainly not something that, that they want either. And I think arguably you could say it's, it's actually probably worse um, from, from what they're trying to achieve. So you've now, let's, let's, Let's go down the Bitcoin of it all, um, as everyone who is listening in on Twitter Spaces should be aware if they're not. Uh, Bitcoin is in a bear market. The global economy is in a bear market. Uh, and Bitcoin has never really been alive during a global recession. We are not technically there. And by technically, I just mean the powers that get to determine whether or not we're in a recession have just not officially come out and said that. Um I want to just, you know me, I like to speculate. I know how much you don't like it. Just bear with me. You're on You're on for the next 20 minutes. So you're kind of stuck. Sorry, Dylan. Um, should the reading come out in the next, I believe it's next week, we'll get Q2's GDP reading. And should we get a negative GDP reading for the second quarter, that'll be two successive quarters, i.e. a technical recession will be triggered. Um, do you think that the market is going to be surprised by that? And I'm talking the general market first, and then secondarily, do you think Bitcoin will be surprised by that? And by that, I mean the price of Bitcoin. Uh, no, I mean I don't think the technical definition matters. Um, I think just I I uh, am of the opinion that, and it certainly would love to be proven wrong here as a as a you know a large holder of, of Bitcoin, um, but I, I don't think that the bottom is is in, and maybe we you know we. Or maybe maybe that's you know seventeen five or whatever it was for Bitcoin uh, is is a generational low and would would love for that to be the case. Um, certainly, there was an absolute truckload of forced selling that took place uh, on the back of the Three Arrows Capital liquidation and all the you know the counterparty risk that resulted from it. Uh, you know, and and before that, Luna as well, right? 
just like, you know, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin were, were puked up in, in this uh, kind of event. But uh, if you just kind of take a step back and look at Bitcoin as just kind of another asset uh, riding the liquidity tide, um, I think we're what we've seen since uh, November, uh, or maybe if you look at like the S&P since like January, since the markets topped, uh, what you've seen is, is that the drawdown, the, the bear market in equities has been about duration, right? So you've seen yields soar. Um, and, and because of that, uh, the, the duration assets, which Bitcoin is, is, you know, despite having no cash flow is paradoxically tra- uh, treated as a long duration asset, uh, right? So, so bonds, equities, uh, specifically tech, right? Uh, as yields have risen, uh, the discount, uh, the discounted kind of cash flow or the, the value of these these equities, um, as the yields have risen, as the risk-free rate has has soared, uh, the, the kind of the, the future or the valuations of these companies and, and or these assets have, have collapsed. You've seen, you know, like say, like uh, I think Treasury bonds have their worst start of the year uh, in recorded history since like the 1800s, which is somewhat of a crazy stat, right? So that's like the first leg of this bear market. Um, and I, I kind of was, was speculating and saying, hey, like, I, I think if, if this is to get materially worse, if we are, you know, amidst the recession, if the Fed continues to, to hike uh, and, you know, we see 9, 10% inflation year over year, consumers are really starting to feel it in their pockets. Uh, you're seeing European, you know, that the, the Eurozone is getting decimated um, because of energy, right? It's, we, we could expect uh, or should expect some form of of earnings right recession. So we've seen the duration uh, part of the decline get get really rapidly priced in, and I think for the most part that's done right. Um, not talking about Bitcoin, but equity markets specifically. Uh, the next kind of leg, I would suspect, if we are in a, in a true recession and true bear market, um, and again, you know, could be wrong here, and, and the market's been chopping around for a month as as you know, people are trying to price all of this in, but. Uh, traditionally, what you would expect next is is for the is for the kind of the earnings recession to be priced in. So we've seen the duration, but I, you would expect that the EPS uh, you know revisions start to go lower. Uh, and and you know if we are kind of seeing actual quantitative tightening, you're going to see uh, credit start to credit risk start to get priced in into into both bonds, corporate bonds, and to equities. And so uh, when I think of Bitcoin as just kind of uh, another asset riding the liquidity tide even though there is kind of uh, its own exogenous variables, there's, you know, Bitcoin native derivative markets uh, and certainly, you know, kind of the bounce we've seen Bitcoin's trading at like 21, 21, six right now, 21, seven um, there's, you know, derivative market dislocations that can, can get worked out where, you know, Bitcoin's been basically chopping around and it's just derivative markets that have, have been sending it from 19 to 22 and back ping, ping pong back and forth for the last month or two. Um, but if we are truly, you know, kind of in this uh, global recession, um, you know, potentially depression, right? When you when you just kind of quantify the energy deficit, uh, there's there's a whole lot of pain uh, that that's being felt out there. Uh, then I think you know the next leg lower for, for equities and the next kind of catalyst uh, for risk off is that you see you see these these earnings revisions really start to get hit, and you're seeing like you know people a lot smarter than myself, a lot more successful than myself, like Michael Burry say that as well. Right, he's saying, "Hey, the first leg was was about duration, and that was priced in very rapidly. Uh, but this bear market isn't over, uh, and and really, you haven't even seen the start of of these earning downgrades in equity markets. And so, you know, Bitcoin obviously seen a ton of forced selling. Um, you know, derivative markets you saw you saw a huge rise uh, in in open interest in BTC and ETH. Uh, but really, you know, and so so you're seeing like I, that tells me a lot of people came in late and, and short hedged." near the lows, which is, which is good thing, right? Late shorts, uh, you know, are, are buyers eventually, but, um, and, you know, big, but, but really what you have to look out for is, is, you know, if there's another leg lower in equities, uh, it's, it's, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that Bitcoin just magically, you know, is, is isolated and all of a sudden in a vacuum uh, <laughs> and, and not kind of uh, tied in as a, as a beta asset, like it's been for the last, six to eight months, um, or really, you know, since, since March of 2020, uh, it's kind of just, it's just uh, a higher beta asset to, to the, you know, to look to the liquidity tide of, of the central bank monetary policy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's, that's actually a pretty natural progression. Um, and that's, you know, kind of uh, always how Bitcoin is going to monetize, but that's just my, uh, that's just my opinion. Someone said, someone commented depression boy, uh, depression now, 
boy, oh boy. <laughs> I don't know about depression, but it's certainly not looking good. I mean, I think uh, the powers that be may try to avoid the word depression for as long as humanly possible until we're so stuck deep in it, if we ever do reach that point. Um, look, I love throwing out terms like bear market because I'm a smooth brain trader like that. Uh, in this short-term window and the pullback that we've seen in Bitcoin, uh, do you think that Bitcoin is in a bear market right now? Or do you think uh, this could be a moment where we're going to start to see that separation from the general market? Q, we're 75% off the highs, my brother. <laughs> this certainly isn't a bull market. <laughs> um, Not yeah, with that I mean, attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if this is the lows, then great, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll happily, uh, I'll happily, you know, ride that, ride that up. But uh, I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Um, would be happy to be wrong. But um, I mean, you're seeing like a lot of, a lot of kind of under the surface accumulation, right? But Bitcoin is like, as an absolutely scarce asset, um, and very, you know, inelastic, right? It's, it's supply and elastic relative to demand. Um, it's, it's, you know, only a couple hundred thousand Bitcoin can send the market up, up or down, right? So Price is set at the margin, um, and if you just think about marginal buyers versus marginal sellers, obviously the last six months have brought a ton of just indiscriminate selling. Um, but when you're looking at the marginal buyer, uh, the plebs are certainly buying. But if you think about the average pleb or the average market participant that has no Bitcoin exposure, uh, traditional legacy funds are risk off. They're risk adverse, and they certainly don't want to be speculating on an 80 vol asset. Maybe a little bit of exposure here, they're dipping their toe in, right? Legacy participants. Um, you know, I think with the new basal uh, requirements or the new basal, uh, what is it called? Regulations, you know, banks can can have 1% of their assets uh, in Bitcoin now, which is great. I, I, I don't expect, you know, banks to just start aping into Bitcoin right away. Uh, but that's that's good news. Um, the the kind of the, the gap uh, earnings uh, accounting, the gap accounting uh, for corporates is still very, uh, is, is just not ideal, right? So, uh, mark to market losses, uh, but not mark to market gains. Um, so, you know, if you buy Bitcoin at 20K and it goes to 10K, uh, you have to, you have to take a hit on your earnings. Like you've seen that with micro strategy. So that's still not ideal. Um, and just in general, like, I, and I've said this on previous streams and, and not to be pessimistic, um, but in the crypto space broadly and, and Bitcoin's obviously not isolated from it. This, this last two and a half months has been a huge black eye. Um, and so really kind of any, any participants, um, serious participants that, that, you know, would want to get involved, uh, you know, have, have a whole lot to kind of sort through uh, following this aftermath. And, and there's kind of a, a lot of just, you know, opaqueness that, that people maybe previously didn't, didn't think was out there. Um, so, you know, I think we'll obviously Bitcoin will, will get to the other side of this and, and it's still a, a legitimate macro asset. But just in terms of, you know, the start of a new bull market coming to coming forth uh, and, and, you know, all time highs by, you know, whenever uh, it's, I think people should just, you know, taper their expectations a little bit because we still have some some kind of uh, clunkiness to sort through from the macro perspective. And also just from a from a regulatory perspective, like I'm, I'm not one to call for regulations and I I certainly don't like big government, but just in terms of sophisticated market participants getting involved in this space, uh, the last two months have certainly not been, uh, you know, uh, advantageous to, to the effort there. Wait, but do you think, are you saying that that is related to regulation and that regulation would help there? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a little conflicted because, you know, part of the, the, you know, anarcho capitalist libertarian in me says, you know, Abolish the SEC. <laughs> Not actually calling for abolishing the SEC, but like you know, I, I do have that that uh that libertarian kind of free market mindset. But at the same time, you have legitimate fraudsters like like Celsius and Alex Mashinsky, and and it looks like what a lot of the the three arrow stuff, um and and the whole Luna debacle, and you know whether that's a legitimate, honest effort at something uh unique or not uh, is another debate. But just all of this has, you know, kind of, and, and also like the the kind of the dollar, uh, the dollar banks, right? That weren't actually, you know, these these kind of uh, digital banks that weren't actually banks, and they were just aping the, the treasuries into UST, right? All of this stuff is 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 basically begging regulators to come in and and uh, and enforce uh, with a, with a more heavy hand, right? So um, I don't know if it would have stopped it or not. I don't know if the SEC didn't do its job good enough. Like I, I certainly am not calling for Gary Gensler to, to regulate more, uh, but I just think that 
it's it, it'd be foolish to think that more regulation isn't coming on the other side of of you know the craziness of the last two months unfortunately or fortunately okay so we're gonna abolish the sec uh what about the fed do you want to get rid of the fed <laughs> i think eventually uh i expect bitcoin to out, outlast the fed <laughs> but we're not there yet we're just it's just uh you know that's the reality um you know, I mean, you could certainly abolish abolish the Fed with your own full node and audit your monetary policy. But in terms of the Bitcoin exchange rate, uh, you know, that is most definitely not isolated from the actions of the Fed. Uh, and it would be foolish to think otherwise. So I want to show on slide number 10, the Bitcoin and Dixie year over year change chart. Uh, this I found super, super fascinating where it almost seemed as though the peaks in Bitcoin when it was reaching all times highs was actually correlated with when the Dixie was making new lows. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What does that actually mean? And could the value of Bitcoin really be derived almost in the same way where as earlier we talked about the Dixie, it's not necessarily the dollar was getting stronger. It was just all these other currencies that were measured against the dollar was getting weaker in the same way. The dollar, which is all of us are in the U.S. and Americans, so excuse and forgive me to any of our foreigner viewers and guests. Um, this reads to me like the Bitcoin price was actually driven more by dollar weakness than anything else. Is that a fair conclusion? Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin uh, has its own kind of adoption cycles and waves, but I think um, certainly the the cycles and and the the kind of the monetization bubbles, if you will, of Bitcoin are aided by easy credit uh, and, and kind of um, these, these credit cycles. Um, and so dollar weakness um, is kind of um, traditionally, or if you just look at like the past you know, decade or so, has been accompanied with uh, these kind of, uh, uh, kind of upswings in growth and credit cycles uh, and easy monetary policy. And so kind of when money's easy, when money's cheap, um, you're going to see, uh, and basically that's, you know, it's just like liquidity is, is, is very available. Um, you know, Bitcoin, crypto uh, sees, a, you know, kind of a huge upswing and, and kind of uh, a new, uh, I don't know, a new, a new cycle, right? And so, and, and when conversely, when the dollar is strengthening uh, and, and you see global liquidity pulling back uh, and, you know, a deceleration of credit growth or even an outright contraction of credit growth, uh, you're going to see s stuff like crypto, like Bitcoin, uh, you know, take a big hit, right? So, if you look at, I like to just like the last two years, um, because I think Bitcoin is, even though it's still very immature, I, th I think it's matured a lot more than it's, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017 uh, cycle. Um, if you look at the last two years of, of Dixie and BTC uh, and inverse the charts and throw BTC in log scale, uh, just to see a little better, it's like pretty, pretty similar chart. Um, and so I think that's certainly telling. Um, and obviously, you know, the dollar can, can strengthen uh, or, or weaken and, and those foreign currencies can as well. Uh, there's there's a bunch of variables there. Uh, but, you know, the dollar rules all, uh, which is which is why it's it's such a significant chart and why I, I pay attention to it. So the dollar will reign supreme for some time. Um, what are some events that you are keeping an eye on that will further weaken the dollar? Personally, I'm of the opinion, uh, and this is, you know, I'm not expecting an imminent uh, pivot in monetary policy. I think, uh, you know, anybody that's kind of, if you've been expecting a pivot every month of 2020, then you've gotten your, your shirt ripped off. I mean, long-term investors are, you know, unbothered. And I think that the long-term investment thesis of BTC is completely unchanged and, you know, potentially even strengthened uh, through all of this craziness. Um, but uh, really, I, I'm of the opinion that this and, and at what level and at what scale is, is anybody's guess. I certainly don't know. But I'm of the opinion that all of this craziness leads inevitably to the uh, to the Fed turning to yield curve control in some form. Um, so whether that's, you know, monetizing the you know, treasuries at at three percent or or, you know, two percent or zero percent. Um, I've I mean, we've seen interest rate policy, uh, you know, as a tool. Uh, be used by the Fed until the great financial crisis where quantitative easing became the primary tool. Uh, now, you know, post COVID, they, you know, QE infinity, they monetize corporate debt, inflation is raging. So they're, they, they're, you know, they're having to try to walk that back. But I think inevitably, whether it's something in the Euro dollar system, uh, you know, whether it's something in international markets, uh, maybe the, the legacy 
uh, or the, you know, the, the banking system, although that's, you know, from what I, from what I see and from what I hear from other smart people is a lot stronger than, than the great financial crisis. Uh, I think inevitably that the fed just due to the, the kind of the, the size of our, uh, of the U S debt load, uh, the size of the Euro dollar system and just, and just, you know, the cost of kind of rolling this debt over in and just the sheer size of the U S entitlements, uh, and, and, you know, kind of fiscal obligations, uh, it, you know, the fed needs to, to monetize, uh, the U S debt, especially also if we're talking about dollar strength, the, the more that the dollar strengthens, the more that, again, that, that foreigners have to sell dollars nominated assets of which the largest of those, those asset buckets is U S treasuries is U S debt. Right. So, so the more that the fed tightens paradoxically, the more that they are going to have to pick up the slack uh, from from you know kind of buying uh, buying the U.S. debt because foreigners are selling it off to cover their to cover their debt loads uh, in dollars, right? So the U.S. kind of uh, fiscal uh, the fiscal outlook uh, and the, and the debt burden is in a, is in a worse spot that the, the stronger that the dollar becomes. So I think um, I'm kind of of the opinion that the Fed will obviously pivot um, if that wasn't implied already, uh, but I think the end game here is is yield curve control similar to what. Uh, the ECB and the BOJ are doing, uh, whether that's, you know, implicitly or explicitly, um, you know, that the U.S. is going to in some form and it's going to be some weird form of acronym and it's going to be some, you know, obscure facility that may, that sounds super complicated and complex, but it's going to be some form of, of debt monetization and it's going to be, you know, another form of money printer go burr. Um, and I think that's, you know, when the case for Bitcoin, uh, you know, an absolutely scarce monetary asset that's, you know, uh, with no counterparty risk is, is going to, you know, once again, uh, once again, shine. Um, we're not there yet, but I think that's, that's what's coming. And, you know, that could be six months, 12 months, 18 months. I, I really don't know. Or according to the, uh, chart, we were looking at the Euro dollar curve. It'll probably reverse sometime around December of 2022 and start changing in 2023. But what do I know? Um, I want to go over open interest with you before I let you go back to doing what you do best. Uh, slide 11, and this is the middle chart, uh, the middle and the top chart in particular, where you've shown an arrow pointing up. Uh, can you just touch on what you're seeing, what you're paying attention to here? Yeah, I mean, we've Bitcoin's been in a range. It's like 22.5 to, uh, you know, I mean, the, the lows were like 17.5, but, uh, you know, 19, 18, five. Um, and then in, in that range, we've seen open interest like skyrocket. Um, so the lows are pretty, pretty heavily shorted. Um, you can see that with the funding rate, but um, I'm kind of, I kind of expect whatever way equities go, uh, um, Bitcoin is going to kind of, we're, we're consolidating in this range, but over the next say month or two, uh, equities are also kind of trading in a range, whatever way those go, uh, you see just such a massive buildup of open interest. Um, and again, like for every, for every short, there's a long. So if there's around, you know, 260, say 260,000 BTC worth of, of stable coin margin open interest, um, those are just agreements to, to buy and sell um, and, you know, buyers and sellers met. So there's always an equal amount of, of shorts and longs. Uh, but, you know, if you, unlike spot Bitcoin, where you can just lock Bitcoin away in cold storage and never sell it again, uh, open interest, uh, you know, a derivative contract, a futures contract, uh, if you, if you, buy a futures contract, you eventually have to sell it, um, especially for like a perp, right? For a perpetual futures contract, what we're talking about in particular. And if you short, you eventually have to cover. There's no way you can, you can like say you could, you could short dollars, you know, by selling dollars for BTC, which is not technically shorting, but you could sell dollars for BTC and never cover, right? But with a, with a derivative contract, you always have to exit your position. So there's just been a huge, like a huge buildup of open interest. You're just seeing like stable coin uh, margin open interest sort of to, all-time high levels, especially as a percentage of, of market cap. Um, and so I kind of expect over the next month or two, um, while we're still chopping around this range, right? Like the range highs at 22.5, 22.6 today got got invalidated pretty hard. Whatever way equities go next, in my opinion, you're, you're going to see a pretty vo uh, violent move uh, from BTC, whether that's higher or lower, uh, because of just how much open interest has, has built up in this range over the last two months, a lot over the last month. Um, and so, I mean, this is just like obviously a more price action technical talk, um, but that's that's kind of what I gather from from all this OI buildup is that whenever the the true range is broken, and it's probably going to be you know as a result of of equity market uh, or legacy market volatility, um, I think that's you know that's where you see a massive move, and it could be lower, and it, you know 
potentially could be higher as well, which would certainly not be a, not be a bad thing for, for us BTC holders, but that's what I'm looking at. All right. My final question for you is, are you actually bullish or bearish then? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm long-term bullish. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not too bullish uh, over the next, you know, whatever, a couple of weeks, months, um, maybe, maybe quarter or so. I still think there's downside. Um, I, I do have some cash. Uh, I, you know, mostly from shorting altcoins over the last couple months here, but <laughs> um, I'm, I'm waiting to deploy that. So, uh, you know, if the lows are in, great. Uh, I got a purchase in at 17.8 uh, and would happy for that to be marked the bottom. But uh, I think that, you know, we, we potentially have some more downside here. So, uh, Dylan, it's always a pleasure getting to hear your perspective. And of course, uh, nothing said here should be deemed as financial advice. Everyone should be going and doing their own due diligence. If you listen to a couple talking heads online or on Twitter, you're a fucking idiot who deserves to get wrecked. I don't make the rules. I just share them. Uh, Dylan, do you mind just sharing with everyone Bitcoin Magazine Pro? I mean, we pretty much have gone over the latest issue you guys released on Friday. Uh, so do you want to just share a little bit more about maybe what you're cooking up? Yeah, sure. Um, most of what we talked about today is, is kind of just running through uh, previous issues of, of Bitcoin Magazine Pro, which is a Bitcoin-focused newsletter, obviously, by the name. Um, but we, we like to cover uh, all, the, all the kind of the, the current happenings in, in global macro, uh, in equity markets. Uh, we cover Bitcoin mining uh, with, with particular focus about once a week or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we put out free issues. We put out we have a paid tier as well. Um, but uh, Sam and I, uh, Sam Rule, who's who's out today uh, with some family stuff, but uh, we're kind of the the engine behind this, and we have a great team supporting us. So uh, check that out. The link is in my bio. Um, but we're putting out for the most part daily content, um, kind of around all this stuff. So if you if you like to talk today, if you like uh, what you saw, if you're watching on YouTube, then then give it a check out. And appreciate everyone that tuned in. I cannot, cannot, cannot stress how much signal comes out of this newsletter, how much I learn on a regular basis by subscribing. There's a free tier. It costs you nothing uh, but your time, and your time will be well spent by reading the words that Dylan, Sam, and their team put together. So highly recommend if you are not already subscribed to pop on over and subscribe to the free tier. It'll start there. Um, and of course, just a reminder to everyone listening, both on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, Bitcoin Amsterdam is coming up. Ticket prices will be going up on Friday, so be sure to lock it in. I am deep into the negotiations of trying to convince everyone at Bitcoin Max. Okay, cool. CK is out of the spaces. I am really trying hard to be able to smoke weed with you guys at Bitcoin Amsterdam. So buy your tickets, come, and we'll have a blast. Um, it's going to be the first Bitcoin or the biggest Bitcoin conference in all of Europe. Uh, shoot us DMs with people you'd like to see talk. Shoot us DMs with people or events or things that you'd like to see happen there. Sound Money Fest will be going on in Amsterdam of all places. Oh my God, I may never come back from that trip. Uh, locking your tickets before ticket prices go up. And of course, that's a wrap. P, how's that sound as a wrap? We good? Fantastic. Let's call it. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Same time, same place.